Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Today's episode of Weird Work is sponsored by HubSpot Academy. Look, you're listening to this podcast because you're probably interested in a new way of working. And if you want to learn more on how you could chart your own course or paddle your own canoe, why not jumpstart your digital business skills at HubSpot Academy? They offer entire courses along with shorter individual lessons on everything from blogging, user experience, inbound marketing, sales, and even Facebook marketing. Yeah, seriously, HubSpot Academy has everything you need to not only pursue your own passion, but make it stick. Check out their entirely, completely, totally free training at HubSpot.com slash weird. It's free, damn it. It's free 99. Go to HubSpot.com slash weird. Sign up for your first class and start building your own weird work. All right, let's do this. If you've wanted yet feared to do work that is weird, this is the show you just need to hear. M. Scholes is the co-host of And That's Why We Drink podcast. But M. also has a weird and wild career path. Youngest clown school graduate? Check. Paranormal investigator? Check. Hollywood prop maker? You bet your ass that's a check. And as a prop maker, M.'s current claim to fame includes a few boxes of Eggo waffles on a little show called Stranger Things. And we talk about why not knowing what you want to do for a living is maybe the best option out there. I'm your host, Sam Balter, and this is Weird Work. Now let's listen to them speak about their jobs, which are quite unique. Weird Work. What would you say is the weirdest job you've ever had? Mm, that's interesting because I've had a lot of weird jobs. Um, I would say the weirdest and the one that gets the most like applause, like it, it's like bragging rights. Yeah. Uh, is I used to be a paranormal investigator. Okay. And that I did that. That was my college job. And I actually had several college jobs and all of them were equally weird. What else do we have on the docket? We have, I used to be a, a shipwright, which is a fancy way of saying I used to build boats. Um, okay. I, I was a kite salesman. <laughs> I was a Segway tour guide. Uh, no, I would say being a ghost hunter by, by far was the best. And so, okay. So like, just give me a quick walkthrough of like your average ghost hunting excursion. So, uh, Basically, one of our main houses that we worked with was actually a restaurant called the Carrot Tree. Got it. And at the Carrot Tree, it was actually one of the oldest houses in Yorktown. It was from like 16, something like only, it was a couple years older than the actual establishment of Virginia. It was an old, old house. Stocked full of ghosts. Oh, it was. So we would would, uh, all start there. We would all meet up and 
set up the equipment. We had, um, I know we had like EMF detectors and millimeters and trifold meters, and um, we had um, infrared thermal imaging. We had lasers. We had all sorts of things that we had accumulated through the power of Google of like, what is a good Ghostbuster kit? And once everyone in the restaurant had left, the owners would lock up and just leave us there in the dark up in their attic. And uh, we would use our equipment and just ask common questions. You know, we usually try to go with yes or no questions just to make it easier on their end. On the ghost end. On the ghost end. We have to be professional and, you know, cater to the clients. Yeah, you're right. Uh, Yeah, obviously. Ghosts are always first. (laughs) I'm saying, I'm saying it. So um, eventually, it depends on where you fall on the spectrum of believing in ghosts. I, on one hand, am a firm believer, an active, strong believer in them. Did you ever fool them at, or like, did you ever convince them at any point that there was a ghost? I didn't have to on my own. They actually started seeing some stuff and experiencing some things where a few of them were like, look, I studied quantum physics my whole life and I just can't explain this one away. So um, that was pretty interesting getting to see that they, uh, you know, I, I didn't have to convince them. The ghost did it for me, but I felt pretty cool. I, I, I gave myself the credit. So. <laughs> so speaking of terrifying things, um, yes. you also went to cloud school. Yeah, that's probably uh, the most terrifying thing I've ever done and the most embarrassing. Um, Wait, I, why Why is it the most embarrassing? Because now I look back on, I, I could not give you a reason for why I did it. And I was 13 and I was just that one kid that everyone knows in high school who was just like a little too weird. And I just wanted to be different, I guess. And so I think someone said, you know, the that phrase of like, Oh, you know, you could graduate from clown school or clown college or something like that. And I was just like, okay, let's just see where that takes me. I'm just going to go do it. So, um, it was very weird. It was especially weird because I was the only child at clown school. I was in a classroom with all retirees. Um, everyone was about 40 or 50 years older than me. And Uh, all right. I, first off, that's not really the demographics that I expected in clown school. Right? I mean, it, it is, I expected I don't like know, a bunch of Like weird, 19 to like 25, maybe? I expected like theater majors or like people. I don't know what I really, actually, who knows what I thought. I mean, I went to freaking clown school, so who knows what I'm thinking. But there was actually different, um, I guess you could say majors um, for clown college. Either you were going in for um, being a hospital volunteer for children, or you wanted to be a birthday clown, or you wanted to be a circus clown, or like, I mean, there was different, different classes they had to take for a different degree, which I mean, it wasn't actually a degree, you just got legally licensed in the state, but what was your clown major? Um, I think I went with birthday clown. And this was also the mind of a 13 year old, but <laughs> I wanted to learn how to make balloon animals. And yes. I was told you only learned that in birthday clown school. So I thought that would have been like clown basics. I know you would think that's like the elective everyone has to take, but (laughs) that's like, that's like that writing class in college that everybody needs to take initially. That's what I'm saying. It's like gen ed (laughs) clown 101. And I also actually became really good at plate spinning. That's my secret trick these days. I know how to plate spin. Can you do balloon animals? 
Nope. (laughs) (laughs) That whole experience is just so wild to me. I don't remember why I did it. I don't know how I made it out because I remember halfway through realizing that it was a weird choice I had made. And I was like, I think I just have to like just white knuckle it and get through this. And I actually ended up graduating um, on my 14th birthday. And so for a long time, I was the youngest uh, professional clown on the East Coast. Nice. Well, that's something that's an impressive stat. Well, I mean, everyone else was like 50. So, you know, I still think I am the youngest. (laughs) I might be. Who knows? (laughs) Yeah, I'd say I'd say keep that title. Like absolutely keep like one of the youngest to graduate Cloud College. I mean, I could, you know, definitely a resume booster. <laughs> so, okay, so you went to Cloud School, graduated, youngest cloud out there, and today you're working as a prop maker. Can you describe like what does a prop maker do? In in the industry on TV sets and, you know, on in studios and all that, there's uh, a, a person in each art department called the prop master or property master. So, okay. um, cause prop is just short for property. Um, huh. and they're the person that when a script comes out, they go through all of it and find every single prop that a person could possibly need on this show. So if they read and say, it says like, Bob drank a soda, his job is to highlight that, make sure that there's a soda in that guy's hand when that scene gets filmed. And do they add in things that, like, aren't explicitly written down? Like, if it's, like, scene, train station, are they, like, oh, there's going to need to be, like, a newspaper on the ground? Yeah. Like, so yeah. they have to, fi- like, add in props as well. Yeah, it's very much improv. And especially if they haven't worked with the director before or if they have worked with the director before and know that he's horrible <laughs> and will probably just last minute be like, oh, I also need an alien in the train station. They have to be ready for anything. So the prop master on any set is known notoriously as the person who has everything. So it's actually kind of a really crappy stereotype for them. Like anyone on set ever, whether it's like someone in, Um, special effects or like a hairdresser or someone in wardrobe or the producer if they want something they just end up making the prop master person uh, you know become Mr. Fix-It and Mary Poppins who just pulls it out of their purse and like it's just expected on a prop master to have anything and everything whenever someone would request it so so if somebody's like um, I need a phone charger prop master I need a bobby pin for my hair prop master like I'm hungry and I could use a sandwich let's call the prop master that's you know you're it sounds ridiculous but a lot of people rely on prop masters as basically glorified assistants to everyone on the set and so let's say you know if it's something as simple as a scene where like someone has to drink a soda that's not really a big deal but you know when it comes to marvel movies where you know the captain america shield or the thor hammer or um, like a futuristic dystopian movie where everything that people touch doesn't actually exist yet they have to not only they can't just go buy those things unless they know the right places, but they have to be able to build anything and they have to be able to do it within a couple months time sometimes. And so you're a freelancer or are you working in like the magical weapons department at a company? Um, so basically there's different departments in my company. So I work for a company called ISS and we are the world's biggest prop house. So we have every different type of department that a prop master could ever want. So all of our clients are prop masters. So when they read the script and realize there's something impossible for them to do, they come to us. So you're the prop master to prop masters? That is correct. Damn. 
Yeah, I'm saying. <laughs> and uh, so there's different departments that they could go to. So there's a weapons department where we have like our own on-site range where like um, where actors can practice using real guns because let's say you know, an actor's going to be in a World War II movie and they've never used a gun before. You can't just give them a gun and then expect them to know how to look like they are in the military and been doing this. So sometimes we have actors come in and we have to teach them how to use everything so they actually know what they're doing. Because otherwise, someone that knows guns is going to watch that movie and be like, that guy doesn't know what he's doing. So we have to make him look accurate. And so there's a, a weapons department. There's a graphics department where we just do all sorts of labeling and designs and anything that you could want. You know, we create that. We, so I actually worked, I started in the graphics department. So like signs, paper, things like yeah, that? So basically anything that starts out in Photoshop and then can get printed and applied to something is what we do. So, um, so my personal claim to fame is I actually made all of the ego boxes for stranger things. That's huge. Yeah. So that's like my like big thing. That's really big stuff. Well, so a lot of, well, thank you. And a lot of people (laughs) ask, um, they say like, well, why didn't they just go buy ego boxes? Like why'd they have to go to some company to do it? But if you think about it, it was in 1983. So the boxes had different designs and labels and logos and um, their color scheme was a little different. So we needed to recreate a label from 1983. And then another option that a lot of prop masters will do is just go look on eBay and see if anyone has a bunch of old 1980s waffle boxes. But between how long they've been around and shipping them, there's a chance they would look all you know rough at the edges or they would look really old. But 1983 has to look like it's happening right now. So that's when they would come to us and say, we need something to look brand new, fresh out of the freezer at the grocery store. Can you make them for us? So is there like an archive of, you know, like old products and things like that that you could go to? Like, I don't even know how you start that process. I'm not too privy to how the design team handled things, but I imagine, you know, we have a huge, huge inventory of random things that people have ever needed. So it's gotten to a point where you can probably just type in 1980s waffle box and something would show up. And so then based on, you know, their knowledge and skill with uh, Photoshop or whatever, they will print it to the actual size. And then once it's printed, the design team took it to me and I uh, had to cut it. I had to basically grab a bunch of cardboard, thin cardboard that we call cereal board. Um, because it's the type of cardboard that's used for cereal boxes. And I had to take the giant sticker, put it on the cereal board, cut it up, and then tape it so it looked like a brand new box. And when you're working on these things, like, is it just, is it just like Eggo box coming in? Or do you have the context of like, hey, this is going to be a big new show. Uh, we're working on this big movie. This is so-and-so directing it. Or is it just like, you get a sheet on your desk that's like Eggo box today. It's just a sheet of paper. Huh. We do see the show name. We do see the prop master's name. We do see, you know, whatever information we could possibly need. But for the most part, like when, when I got that order, I got an order and said like, we need 70 Eggo boxes. And one of them takes like 10 minutes. And I was like, Oh, this is just going to take me forever. So, I mean, for, because it was season one and it hadn't come out yet and it wasn't a huge hit. All I saw was some show no one's ever heard of needs me to make 70 ego boxes. 
when chances are after it's all filmed and the editors do their thing and it's like the final cut, you're going to see like two boxes and I'm going to have spent my whole day making 70 boxes for someone to see two of them for five seconds. So that's, that's the main mentality of it because we don't really know what we're making until it's on air. And then we feel the pride or, um, a lot of times if it's a big movie, like a Marvel movie, they actually have code names. So even people at the company don't know what they're working on. We did make at my company, we did make the Captain America shield. We made the Thor hammer. Um, we made all of their outfits um, or we didn't make the outfits, but we did alterations. So I think we helped do like um, the glasses for Falcon or we did like a Hawkeye bow, something like that. But unless you're doing something obvious, then they try to keep it under wraps from you. So you don't try to take pictures and post them on Instagram or you don't try to steal one. Oh, that you would be like, you know, oh, just work it on this trident for like 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 Aquaman, you know, and then people would be like, oh shit, Aquaman's going to be in the new movie. Exactly. So like they, they don't necessarily have a sign like NDAs before we start working there, but it's understood that if they find out you spill any beans then you're, you know, you get the boot. So it's kind of just an honor system that if you do tell anyone, it's because you really trust them and they're not going to tell anyone. So, and I'm just curious, like quick question, is this like a, is this a full-time thing or is this like a part-time thing? Is it like a, you know, you get called into specific shows that are coming up? Like, how's that work? Yeah, it's, it's a full-time job. This is a, a, I think about 120 employees come in every day and there's, it's a half a warehouse and half an office. So we have a, whole you know accounting team purchasing team we also have product placement which is now the, the department I work in so I don't actually get to make any props anymore which you know breaks my heart because the whole point of this was I wanted to be able to make things and see them on tv and be like oh you know I made that but you know now I do product placement which is a little different so I still see products that I'm responsible for on tv but they're not you know I didn't build them I just helped you know get distributors to put them on the television so so now you're away from the like the craft part of it. I know, I know. I really sold out, but I, <laughs> you had your ego box moment, and then you were like, you you moved on up. Now you're on the the product placement side. It's true. I I was like, you know what? You can't beat you know a one hit wonder <laughs> like Stranger Things and all of the ego boxes that people. You know, I made the ego boxes for the second season too, so I got to reprise my role. <laughs> And then, and then I was like, all right, you know, I have my 15 minutes of fame that no one even knows about. So, so I, um, I, I also, I love thinking about this like magical place, just full of all these objects and weapons and like all this other stuff. It seems like such a fun spot to work. Oh yeah. It's crazy fun. I mean, anyone that has ever visited me in LA, I, I, I mean, they do tours at our job. So you know, after a while of being there, the magic kind of leaves. But I mean, you still get your the spurts of it. Someone was recently carrying the Captain America shield to the, like the truck that's going to drive it to set. And, you know, just seeing someone carry the shield is, you know, you still get those moments where there's a little, you know, twinkle in your eye. Um, but it is, it's very funny. We have a, a huge warehouse of all this weird inventory. We've got, I, I mean, I can't even begin to list the weird shit that's just hanging out in my office. And it's so normalized in my mind now that people just walk by with, you know, dead bodies all over them and, you know, just carrying a gallon of fake blood and over we have an oversized baby bottle. We have um, like a bunch of weird like devil forks and spears and torches. And we have all these like sugar glass and we have 
you know, rubberized television. So people just throw a television and you get scared for a second and it doesn't break. And I, um, I just love thinking Delzone about like you as just like somebody, like all this stuff's like coming by you, like passing by you. And it's like case of the Mondays and you're just like bored and tired. And you know, you're like, like not even noticing any of these crazy things happening. When I used to work in the graphics department, one of the jobs that I mean, we, any fake magazine, any fake soda label, any fake beer label, any, you know, any fake food product. If you ever watch a TV show and realize that that food brand doesn't exist, it actually came from our company where we you know, printed out the design and applied it to, you know, like a Lay's potato chip bag. We'll make a fake one and use like real potato chip bag material and build the bag and then dump a bunch of Lay's in there and just, you know, in case they never were able to like get Lay's to clear them so that they could use that brand on TV, they come to graphics for us to put a bunch of fake names on things. So one of these weird habits I picked up is from when I worked in graphics, there would be a lot of times where we had to relabel food boxes. And now I've noticed anytime I pick up food, I always ask the person, oh, is this real? Like, oh, can I eat this? Is this like for a communal snack for everyone in the office? Or is this like a project, like a work order you're doing? And even when I'm home now, I always grab something. And I'm like, am I allowed to eat this or is this for a project? A su- surprise PTSD on the job. Yep. Food related. <laughs> Food related PTSD. So, you know, you said Stranger Things, Ego Boxes was your 15 minutes of fame. But mm-hmm. you're also known for another job. You host a podcast. Yes, I do host a podcast. You... And I, I co-host a podcast. I say that because my co-host is the greatest thing that ever happened to me. So I really don't want to take all the credit. But um, I have a podcast called And That's Why We Drink. And what is the show about? It's roughly ghostly hauntings and serial killers. But I mean, we we kind of stray from that sometimes. So I cover a story every week that has to do with the paranormal or supernatural. And my co-host uh, discovers some wild story once a week about true crime that she shares with everyone. And the premise is that um, as we're telling these stories, she is drinking a lot of wine and I am drinking a lot of milkshakes because I actually don't drink alcohol. So we had to find a, something for me to be, you know, binge eating because of my nerves about whatever we're talking about. <laughs> and so one of the things is like, I feel like true crime and like uh, paranormal shows are really, really popular podcasts. Like, but it mm-hmm. didn't seem like it was super popular in radio and other audio kind of like means. I'm just wondering, like, why do you think that is? Like, why do you think people are so attracted to like the true crime space and the sort of paranormal stories space for podcasting? I, I have no idea. I'm, I'm totally going to go off of my personal reasonings for the interest, but yeah. I love, I love drama. I love hearing good stories that are juicy and rare and, you know, they make you want to know more information. And I mean, true crime is just, it's just covered in that. Um, I also really, really like, um, like the taboo and things that you're not supposed to be interested in, but everyone kind of secretly is. And I think that's, you know, our podcast, we've luckily had some success with it. And I think it's because a lot of people have these interests that everyone tells them are weird, but you know, we all kind of have this underlying camaraderie where we all know we're a little weird, but we don't care. We're just happy to, you know, that someone's supportive of it and enabling it and not making us feel bad about it. Like one of the things I wonder about is that transition from something becoming like a hobby to a passion. And Mm -hmm. 
I guess like just as a little bit more context, like sometimes I feel like people talk about like work and careers and stuff and they're like, do what you're passionate about. And then I, sometimes I feel like, like, I'm not sure, you know, like I'm not a hundred percent sure at any given moment, what is like my true passion in life. So I yeah. wonder like, how do you think about that as something that has become a hobby turned into a passion and then kind of turning that passion potentially into a career with the way that the world is a lot of us you know rely on being supported and you know regardless of people understanding why you want to do something or what your interests are I think we're all you know getting closer and closer to each other you know heart to heart you know having real friends be there and be like you know what if you want to just pick apples and make that your job then you know what you go pick the best apple and I think Maybe, you know, in times before this generation, it just seemed like, you know, right now I'm 25 years old and not married. I would be considered a spinster. And, you know, there was just so many heavier expectations. And now as time's going on, it's very much like, you know, if you haven't figured it out yet, then you haven't figured it out yet. But I haven't figured it out yet either. So I'm not going to judge you. And it's, it's very unifying that we're all confused together. And if we find something that works, that we're just happy for each other. So Um, I think it just comes with luck and having really good friends that also I grew up with friends who haven't known how weird I am since, you know, they met me since like middle school or lower school. And uh, I think they expect nothing less from me. So I think when I told them I was going to have a podcast about ghosts, they were like, you know what, of any of us, you were the one to do it. So go for it. I, man, I just really like that, that whole like sentiment of like, I'm confused. I could be like, do I could be having a normal, good job and then feel instantaneously confused and then just switch careers. And that doesn't seem like a bad thing. If you think about it, I mean, you know, like in our parents' generation, it was very much like you had one job when you got out of high school and then you did that job until you died. And it's very much now, like, I think the number now is we change our career paths eight times on average and it's just becoming normalized. And I think that mixed with us breaking down stereotypes as quickly as we're trying to, you know, it's not expected anymore to have kids by the time you're 25 and have your life set up. It's, you know, everyone just wants dogs now and podcasts and you know, (laughs) we just want to like follow each other on Tumblr. It's not a big deal. And so, you know, we're just very supportive and I don't know. I, I really appreciate how understanding the world's becoming. It's not entirely understanding yet. There's, you know, but we're getting there. So. Thank you so much for coming on to the show. This was so much fun. I like I get to fortunately enough talk to people with such like interesting and diverse sets of jobs and you as a single person might have like the longest resume of weird jobs. Yeah, it well it doesn't help when it comes to resumes cuz then I don't have any like stable background. I just have a bunch a flurry of experience that I just wear a lot of hats. I'm like a cat who's already lived my nine lives. So I appreciate you appreciating that and wanting me on your show. So thank you. How great is M? Seriously. If you haven't listened to And That's Why We Drink, take those two ear holes on the side of your head and start listening. If you like weird work, if you love weird work, if you want to throw a ring on weird work, do us a favor and subscribe to the show. That way, you'll get the latest episodes delivered to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, 
or wherever else you're getting your podcast these days. As always, I'm your host, Sam Balter. And stay weird, you gold medal moon children. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.